everybody. How's it going? Happy Wednesday. Oh, just a couple minutes late today. I was having such a good time walking around the park, squeezing the last little drops of sunshine and barefoot on grass energy I could get out of the day. Wonderful day. Good to see everyone here. We got a lot of awesome people in the chat. We got Flat Earth Hippie. What's up, Hank? Kabir, Stacy, Brian, Jenny, Evil Fandango, and Volo. How you doing, Oliver? Good to see you. So <laughs> tank cast, that's right. It's a unwritten law for Vibrant to wear no sleeves. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, this is a new shirt. First day wearing it. I'm I'm pretty into it. So <laughs> someone made like a, a gross comment about like my shirt being uh, ratty and I always wore the same shirt. And after I banned them, I'm like, you know, I should get a new shirt. <laughs> so how you doing, Gabe? We didn't even talk pre-stream. We just kind of jumped right in. How's it going, man? Uh, I'm doing real good. Doing real good. Uh, uh, working on a, uh, a comic with uh, the Rising from the Ashes crew. I'm pretty excited about that. Kind of just building up on my little character back backstory back that sounds uh, cool i'm kind of curious about that yeah yeah it's a it's a just a fun little project so it's been uh it's been my thing today uh got my garden coming along gonna have tons of squash again <laughs> i'm gonna have a abundance of cucumber i think i only got one squash that made it <laughs> So, which is weird because it's like an easy one, but it is what it is. Lots of lettuce, lots of cucumber, uh, some broccoli, tons of tomatoes, you know, but who doesn't have tons of tomatoes? Nice. Way nice. Very uh, glad to have Jennifer's help in the garden. It's really made it a lot better, especially being consistent with the watering. I appreciate all the nurturing she's doing to our plant babies, our home, our life. It's great. And... What else do I want to say? I don't know, man. I'm excited for this convo though. So basically what happened was I had somebody else scheduled for a show tonight, but then yesterday they let me know that they had come down with something and needed to rebook. So I was like, I don't know. I just leave it up to the <laughs> end of fate. What's going to happen. And as I was getting into my nightly reading last night, I reopened Anacalypsis. And happened to be on a chapter where he was talking about Rome and the Cloaca Maxima. And I had already done some notes on that. I'd done some digging on it prior to revisiting this chapter. And it just was like, you know what? That sounds like the most fun thing to talk about tomorrow. And then so I put together some images of lots of different underground secret stuff. And I know that that's definitely up your alley with where you've been lately, investigating the underworlds of the psyche and whatnot. Yeah, man. Yeah, absolutely. Any, just absolutely nothing else. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, you know, uh, I just, I've discovered a, uh, I guess a temple to Hades in Turkey. Um, <clears throat> I guess it's on Turkey too. Yeah. It's on the 37 degree parallel, which is kind of uh, flipping my brain. Um, that's the Mason Dixon line. And so, uh, particularly for a temple to Hades, 
to be on the Mason-Dixon line is really fascinating to me. But at this uh, gateway to this temple, um, there were rumors, uh, legends about bringing an offering, a sacred offering to this temple of Hades. And, you know, they would like tie up a bird or uh, or uh, whatever, uh, a pig or a swine. And then they would lower it down into the cave and the animal would die, just just drop dead. And um, turns out it's because there's some sort of toxic gas that comes out of the cave. Now, if you listen to Wikipedia, they're going to tell you that it's that it's CO2. <laughs> it emits so much carbon dioxide that the animals just drop dead. But <laughs> um, I'm not inclined to believe that. Uh, <laughs> um, but I wonder, I think it would be really fascinating if it was uh, specifically this... Um, uh, some of these noble gases. Uh, I'm lear- I've learned that argon, which na- its name is uh, Greek, it means lazy, or uh, yeah, lazy, or uh, slothful. And so that they- lines right up with your uh, number Inea. Yep, this is number a, nine. That's, that's totally number nine on the Enneagram. Uh, the element argon is number 18. So its numerology is a nine as well. And its name means slothful. So they use this to put the, uh, to put down chickens uh, in the chicken industry. Um, so that all of this is just fascinating to me because this temple is very large. Um, and it's on the 37 degree parallel, which is lines up with so much, conflict it also uh it lines up with uh the strait of gibraltar and it lines up with uh the golden gate bridge and uh fort knox quite a few other very significant things on the 37th degree parallel there's a lot there i'm just kind of getting the slides ready so we have a pretty good crowd here. Would appreciate maybe some sharing of the podcast with uh, friends and, and telegram groups and whatnot. If you guys haven't done so already, that's great. And we should get a, we should get George in here later on when he has time. I know he's oh, you know, chasing kids around. So he's, I'm pretty sure he's already watching. So he'll be, you know, up on what we've been talking about, but I thought he would be great to give commentary. You know, it just feels like at least once a month, we need to have George on just to hang. And also, since we are talking about underground stuff, I mean, he lives in Kentucky now. <laughs> they got the Mammoth Cave system. It's uh, There's something to that for sure. So let me make my PowerPoint available and we can start exploring. Now, for the most part, what I have in this PowerPoint is kind of more like a, like a show and tell, uh, which will be a lot of fun. I <laughs> We're just scratching the surface when it comes to what all we have in the world in terms of the crazy amount of underground ruins, underground cities. So we'll start with the Cloaca Maxima and then I have some others. And I think you've done some digging up. You said there's one in Turkey. All right. I'm on a new computer. So there's a little bit of tricks, tricks to achieve. Okay. PowerPoint. 
There we go. All right. So we're in. All right. We're in. So this is quite a beautiful piece of art right here. This is a view of the Cloaca Maxima in Rome from Christopher Eckersberg, 1814. So what we're talking about is cloaca. It means like sewer or kind of comes from an etymology relating to like cleansing or purification. And then maxima means just big, mega, mundo. So the cloaca maxima are these huge, huge sewers under the city of Rome. And Rome is just fascinating because of the antiquity that we have to these particular underground channels that actually, you know, it's my opinion. And I've shared before that the first couple hundred years of Roman history is mythos. And that's a demonstrable with astrotheology or with the naming conventions of some of these early Kings and things of that nature. And uh, you know, the story of the founding Romulus and Remus is evidently quite, <laughs> quite mythological, right? Like, so yeah. we, Raised by a, a she-wolf. Now, before Rome was Rome, it is said to have been a city of the Etruscans called Valentia or Valentia, like Valentine, Valentia, which is interesting because not only is there Valentia in other parts of like of what may have been a worldwide empire or at least an empire around the middle earth the mediterranean there's other valentias like in england and i, I don't know i have a, i have anacalypsis here and on page 375 he talks about that pull this up it's interesting it is very certain that the old traditions agreed that rome was built on the site of a former city the Chronicle of Kuma says that the name of the first city was Valentia and that this name was synonymous with Roma. Now, there was a Valentia in Italy and one in Britain. There is one in Ireland and one in Spain. There was also a Burgantia in England and there is one yet in Spain. And when we see Burgantia, the B and V switching, uh, Burgantia is not that far off from Valentia. Anyway. Uh, that's not what Higgins is maybe claiming here. There was an Umbri in England, Northumberland, and the River Umber. And then there's an Umbri in Italy. Umbri in Italy is where the Etruscans really were heavily laid in there. The Hindu gods by the same names are all found in Ireland as well as the Etruscan. Now I ask, have these singular names of people descended from a people from Upper India speaking the Sanskrit language before it was brought to its present perfection? How can the singularity be otherwise accounted for? The early history of Rome is certainly a mythos. Its real history is unknown. The Greeks also, namely Lycophron and Aristotle, state that there was a city in old time before that of Romulus called Roma. So <laughs> there's a little more I want to read here. I suspect with the writer of the author of Nimrod that Rama so common it, both in India and Syria was the same as Roma, that it was a noun adjective, appellative, as a name, and meant in one sense strong. 
Thus, Bala Rama, the powerful or potent Baal or Baal. He says, I believe that Roma is radically the same word as Rama, the Romans being Pelasgi. Remember, that's uh, Phoenicians. And here we have the vowel E concurrent with A and O for Remus is always spelled in Greek, Romus, as in Rho, Omega, Mu, Omicron, Sigma, R-O-M-O-S, but with the O sound in the first O. Remus is always in Greek, Romus. And the name Romulus, on the contrary, was sometimes expressed Remulus. Livy gives me further confirmation by deriving Romnenses a Romulo. For the flatterer of Octavius, the pretended Aeneid prince, freely owns that... Oh, I'm not going to keep reading this. <laughs> anyway, the point is that uh, Romulus and Remus, we're talking about Rama. Oh my gosh, what an awesome uh, super chat there, Marty. Thanks. Chase <laughs> from Gardenville, MC Slick Dizzy in the house. MC Slick Dizzy, I like that. Hey, thanks, man. Thanks for popping in, Marty. That's a really nice super chat, too. Yeah, super Thank excited you. for you to get out here. Oh, we got a lot of comments here while I was reading. Dylan says, Michael Grant thought the Cloaca Maxima was built by the Etruscans to drain the marshlands so they could build Rome. Cool. Uh, what the moderns say is they think that the uh, that it was actually made from a pre-existing creek or waterway that they built over the top of, which would maybe make sense. There's a lot of sacred mythos around rivers and streams that, you know, Bach, Bacchus, Bach means stream. Uh, I'm going to just go through some images here. Now, please drop commentary at any point. Just just cut in Gabe. Otherwise yeah. I'm kind of just going to talk. Uh, and also isn't a, you know, clo- cloaca is a, is like the corkshoe sh- shaped duck phallus also. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure that's a, like ducks and porcupine. They got a, this weird shaped dong that does a, it's like a three in one uh, Swiss army it serves serves three purposes well i've never googled the name of a duck penis before but they say male ducks have corkscrew penises okay (laughs) okay okay (laughs) ballistic penises (laughs) i'm just gonna say placenta too in case anybody had it in for 17 or 18 minutes (laughs) so yeah here's an image of the cloaca maxima you know one thing about this that i found interesting is that you can't really find much imagery or footage of this especially footage it was really tough to find much to like show about it and i don't know why that would be you know in fact it seems like the internet is a little bit hard up to find stuff images and video of underground cities and underground tunnels in general. For example, I didn't really even bring anything forward on Egypt because I couldn't find much that would make for good show and tell. Yet we know that underneath like the Giza complex, there's a huge under, there's like a whole underground world. It's like, it's like goblin town from the Hobbit movies or something down there. So, but you know, people don't go down there supposedly because it's dangerous. So there's not a lot of pictures of it, but just looking at this architecture, I'm sure that 
it's not impossible because it exists, but man, that would not be easy to build. And the antiquity granted to this is beyond like what we don't even know how old it is yet. It's not only here, but it's functional. I find that really amazing. <laughs> Joe says, why is AI hiding the underworld from us? Well, it's whoever programmed the quote unquote AI since it's not really intelligent in itself, but there is definitely a shrinkage going on with the internet. Dead internet theory. I'm a, I'm up with that theory. Yeah, man. The, the walls are collapsing. I, <laughs> I keep, I always, my mind always goes back to the, uh, the dumpster scene in Star Wars. <laughs> Looks like the water temple from Ocarina of Time. Love nice. that. Nice. Dude, the nostalgia spell for Legend of Zelda is so strong <laughs> on me lately. I don't know why. Oh, and, wow. That's yeah, just wow. Shot. It's the precision is just redonkulous. And there's this red brick thing going on, you know. Wow. So beautiful. It's really beautiful. So pay attention to the big blocks and then the red brick passageways as well. The kind of both things are going on uh -huh. and you'll see that in later areas. Yeah. Roman techniques. We see that elsewhere that isn't attributed to Rome or whatever we're, what we're calling Rome. And I'm also open to the idea that what we're calling the Roman empire is something that existed before, but then you know, got rebranded as Rome at one point. Okay, so this, I don't think I needed to have uh, audio, but I did find something with a little bit of footage of the Cloaca Maxima. So we can watch this. And re remember, this is said to have been built by Tarquin the Younger. And that's one of the first Etruscan kings before Rome was founded by Romulus and Remus mythologically. And the city at the time was said to have spanned or controlled a region no wider than 16 square miles. So why, why would you need to build or even have maybe the ability to build something like this with such a small area of under your control? You know, it seems. The whole story of it just doesn't make sense. It's amazing how much the status quo keeps holding on to their mythological narrative masquerading as history when more and more undeniable, not, you know, evidence just continues. Oh, oh, wow. Sorry. I just missed that. That's uh, under Cologne. <laughs> so that's not even in Rome, but Hey, point point is that it exists in lots of places. My bad. Here's a map though, of where you can see the uh, line here. This red line is where the cloaca maxima is running right through the middle here. And okay, yeah. so I think that this does support the possible idea that it originally was a stream, you know, because of the way it bends and forks, well, not forks, but bends and has all these curves in it. Wow. 
It's fun. It's fun just to imagine, you know, and I like this, uh, this little map of Rome as well. This isn't really showing where the Cloaca Maxima runs, but mm-hmm. just seeing how this is set up, you know, there's the Temple of Isis and Serapis here, Circus Maximus. Yeah. Now the uh, our our underground tunnels are going through here. Now I also think that there might be more than just the Cloaca Maxima under Rome, but this is sort of what we were given you know, the bone were thrown in because you can see the openings to it. But I think there might be even more. The paintings of Tarquini surpass all others in Etruria. Unique, not only in Etruria, but the world. I haven't seen what you're talking about. Sounds cool. So I'm going to do some reading now. But again, Gabe, if you have commentary, just jump in at any point. Right on. Rome herself was supposed by many authors, such as Pliny, Livius, etc., to have been a city of the Etrurians during the time anterior to its foundation in the year B.C. 752, and subsequent to its abandonment by the ancient Aborigines and the site of Rome had been excavated by certain subterranean passages of extraordinary size and solidity, the Cloacae, the Cloacae. Cloaca, <laughs> sorry, Cloaca Maxime. Abram omnium dictu maximum sofusis montibus, atque erbe pensili subterque navigata. That's from Pliny, and my best shot at translating that was, the greatest of all works is said to be covered with mountains with a hanging city navigable under it. Uh, it's my best attempt at translating. Now, this is... Interesting, because that idea of a hanging city that brings to mind like the hanging gardens of Babylon, you know, I think there's something here in this weave that isn't really in my slides about the idea of the city, like the Troy myth, right? The Mount Maru or the world axis, the world center imitation city where they build it with like the seven rings or there's seven streams or there's seven layers, something along those lines, you know, a good, perfect, even though it's from fiction, a really good example of that. If you guys have seen the Lord of the Rings is the city of Gondor. Their capital city, Minas Tirith has these terraces where to reach the top, to get to the keep an intruder or a visitor has to go, up and around in like a spiraling circular elevating path. So like, even though as the crow flies, the distance from the front gate to the top might not be that long. There's like a series of seven gates that, and so it's defensible in that way as well. Right. But to continue this quote, this is from Algernon Herbert in his work, Nimrod, a discourse on certain passages of history and fable. Which I think is from like 1828, a book that I've done some searching for certain terms in, but I haven't read all the way through. It's huge, actually. It's multi-volume. He says, this work, the Cloaca Maxima, is ascribed by some to the imaginary king, Tarquin, the ancient. Now, just the name Tarquin, 
I can't help but see in there Thor Cohen, as in King Thor, or the <laughs> priest Thor, right? The priest King Thor. That's what I see there. Or, you know, Tar, Sar, Zar, all that word is in Tar. Tarquin the Ancient. Uh, but so inconsistent is Roman mythology that we find them existing as buildings of indefinite antiquity in Romulus's time, when the image of Venus Cluacina, the expurgatrix, the warrioress, or the illustrious, for the senses doubtful, was discovered in these gloomy canals. They were not adapted to the shape and ground plan of Rome, according to Livy, but probably were conformable to that of some older city. Now, this Venus Cluacina, <laughs> I I am doubtful that this is a real thing in terms of like a real goddess of antiquity. So here's, there's basically like two pieces of evidence or receipts, if you will, that I can find on this idea that the Romans had a god of the sewers or goddess of the sewers named Cluacina and that she was associated with Venus. So what you see here is a coin. On the the face of it, it says Concordia, and on the back it says Cloacine or Cloacini. Hard to tell, but do you see this thing that the two figures are standing in? Uh-huh. This, this is said by like the Wikipedia's. Well, I'll read the slide and then I'll talk about it. It's claimed by modern historians that these coins represent Venus Cloacina. And the image on the right depicts her shrine. It is far more likely, in my opinion, that we are looking at Ark or Arga symbolism. This looks more like a boat than a shrine to me. Like one of those dragon boats. Perhaps mm-hmm. Cloacina, similar to Cloaca or Drain, is a reference to the draining of the floodwaters and the concord between man and God that no flood would end life again on Earth. My, my opinion on what this coin might be representing um so basically this image here on the on the right of the what i think once you see it i mean it's clearly a boat <laughs> it's clearly a boat with the the god and goddess you know the masculine and feminine generative principle on the boat classic arc symbolism um they claim that this is actually a shrine and that in this spot above the cloaca maxima uh, this little spot on the ground <laughs> Not that thick. This is the claimed sacrum Cloacina, taken as evidence of the Roman worship of Venus Cloacina. And the other evidence is from writers like Livy who say that um, Tatis, what's his name? One of the, like Titus Tatius (laughs) had a, discovered a statue of a goddess in the Cloaca Maxima. And this is back in the time of like, you know, uh, king numa the second roman king the one that followed romulus and remus okay um he finds the statue of this is the legend of a, a female deity goddess no inscription or anything and they name it after let me read here's the direct quote tacitus consecrated the shrine found in the this is from lactanius the uh early church father apologist for christianity He says, Tacitus consecrated the statue found in the great sewer. And since he did not know whose effigy it was, he imposed the name on it from the place. A la Cloaca Cloacina. 
So anyway, this is the kind, this is the kind of thing that is like being, you know, this is what we're getting in our modern view from the mainstream of the worship of different gods and goddesses. They're telling us, you know, if you just go off the surface level, you know, skimming the de- the details available online, you would get mm-hmm. that they're Romans. They just had goddesses and goddesses for everything, you know, silly pagans, whatever, that they had a goddess of the sewers named Cloacina. Yet all you can find to back this up are these coins and this and the writings about finding a statue and naming it Clo- Cloacina because it was in the cloaca. You know, like this is the level, this is the, this is the level of quality that passes as mainstream historical research and is passed off. And like, here's your academic professional. <laughs> Dylan says, tread lightly in the world of anagrams, Gabe. <laughs> so anyway, I'm going to give you some time uh, to respond to all the stuff we just brought out. Well, one thing I'm noticing right away is uh, she has uh, the way that that one particular curl of hair comes out from under her uh, under her uh, head, her uh, whatever her cloth that she's wearing. Uh, They've actually done that with other uh, matriarchs and other coins where they say that what they're trying to do is imply a horn. It's uh, sometimes it's supposed to look like a little horn uh, underneath their hair in uh, and that's used to signify that she's initiated. She's uh, participated in, uh, I'm pretty sure it's the El- Eleusinian mysteries. Uh, probably means she, you know, partied pretty hard with the, mus- the mushrooms one night. Um, so I think that's interesting that we have, again, this uh, Im- implication of uh, the this horn coming out from under the the veil of her headdress, and that's kind of got a and that's kind of echidna esque too. That having having the horn is kind of a she drake uh, symbol. Uh, a lot of people forget that the she viper, the Medusa, is not just a serpent legs. She also has horns on her head, which is really freaky. yeah and as a shape it also has a an echo to a crescent moon which is often associated with a goddess figure but is occultly a dual symbol representing the boat you know it's the same shape as this boat yeah like a sun and moon thing going on here so that's part of it it's in the mix so the antiquary so here's an image though of the modern, you know, what you can see from the outside of the Cloaca Maxima. It's kind yeah. of a bummer to see it all graffitied and whatnot, but antiquarian and papal archivist of the 17th century, Raphael Fabretti, observed that there are several very ancient watercourses at Rome, entirely subterranean, one of which leads directly into the caverns of Cloaca Maxima. They were large enough for a wagon loaded with hay to pass, and upon one occasion, after they'd been neglected, the cleansing of them was contracted for at 3,000 talents. So, <laughs> cleaning up the cloaca maxima back then, whenever he's referring to, it's kind of, it, the, where I found this quote uh, wasn't 
specific on where when Fabretti is referring to, but you know, 3000 talents, if they're silver talents, let alone gold, if it's gold, we're talking billions, but 3000 talents in silver would be $50 million. So that's, uh, you know, it must've been quite an extensive system that basically this is an implication, not proof of anything, but an implication that there may be more than what we know about in the open, in the public, in terms of these subterranean water courses and passageways. Very possible. So I have a couple of reading slides to do. This is more from Nimrod. It has been justly and sagaciously observed that works of convenience or cleanliness were rarely undertaken in times of remote antiquity. And if these were made with such an intent, they stand alone among those wonderful monuments whose having existed is only credible because they still exist and are visible and which were all subservient to the uses of ambition or fanaticism. That's key. (laughs) Which were all subservient to the uses of ambition or fanaticism. Talking about the underground. (laughs) Keep keep that in mind. (laughs) Uh, We're talking about Goblin Town here. Grabbler town. And we may infer in a more particular manner that the works in question were directed to one or both of the, these objects from the example of the Egyptian Theba Hecatompilos, Hecatompilos, which was excavated with navigable canals through which the kings used to lead for the, used to lead forth their armies under the city and unobserved by its inhabitants. So even in remote, we're talking basically about like underground military bases in antiquity, (laughs) you know, and that's still a big theme in sort of conspiracy culture today. Very interesting. Um, Vipsanius Agrippa in like manner went into the cloacae with his barge and sailed through them into the Tiber. It is my belief, or at least my strong conjecture, that the extraordinary work of the Aborigines entitled entitled Cloaca Maxime is the fabled Etrurian Labyrinthus. So underground labyrinths, you know, that's (laughs) that's kind of where this thread led me into. Damn, what a trip, man. What a trip. Yeah, hiding your armies from hiding your armies from the public and from them seeing that you're even sending them out to do something, you know, yes. like you how, know, how far have they run with that concept in the modern? Right. And it, uh, it almost seems, I mean, it seems so plausible. Uh, it even makes me think of how functional the, the curvature of the arc uh, is, you know, like the, the arc way of the, of these tunnels. You know, it's almost like uh, can almost pressurize it and make things move around. You know, that's a that's a trip and a half, man. Um, so, well, uh, is this all in uh, in Italy? 
that's all everything we've looked at so far except the yeah. video clip that was a not under Rome, but ever right. I thought it was mistakenly. I literally could not find any video footage of exploring the Cloaca Maxima. In 2023, the whole yeah. internet at my fingertips, and you know, in five minutes of searching, I could find nothing. <laughs> I mean, it <laughs> might be out there, but it, it's not like you know. You'd think in the world of optimized search engines and everything, there would be something would come up, but it really yeah. was not that available. So, you know, somebody get out there and explore, <laughs> go, go find, go find some uh, secret entrances to hidden Roman aqueducts and whatnot. I'd like, or underwater passageways, underground yeah. waterways. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, um, the, there was a cave in uh, Greece. Uh, I'm not going to, be able to remember the name of it. It's like the L'Oreal, Lorien Caves, and it's the was the source of a lot of their riches and their finance. Uh, their silver came from this one cave in particular, and it wasn't. It was just like right there in the second paragraph. They talked about how they lost track of how many children they lost in the uh, in the uh, in whatever precious metal production. Um, and it's just fascinating to me how uh, how much territory is probably unaccounted for, you know, underneath the ground. Um, and the and the other thing that gets me, it, I mean, it just gives me the heebie-jeebies. Is the word miners, you know, like are they not? Are they also talking about kids? If Italians could stop spending eight hours making food and explore the Cloaca <laughs> Maxima, that'd be great. <laughs> no, what you just said is super profound, though. The the same word for kids and underground workers. It's the same word. What is that about? Yeah, man. When I uh, I was looking up uh, Scr- Scranton looking into the the mining industry in Scranton. And for some reason, different pictures, different minds, but they all had children, like, with their backs to the camera. And I was like, are they, am I not supposed to see these kids? Why are they, why do they all have their backs to the camera? And then I realized, and why are they only children? And I was like, well, because they fit in small places. That's it's a, a dark, a dark truth. Very dark truth. Uh, yeah. So, uh, and they so, can't, re- you know, and they're not as able to uh, defend themselves or stand up for their own rights or provide for themselves. So, yes, yes, it had me really thinking about, you know, the work that I did on the um, symposium. There's the the most uncomfortable part where they're talking about um, pederasty. Is uh, it's actually a lawyer who's talking about it and he's talking about like uh be almost like it, becoming a foster parent uh when you take a child into your life hey, hey hey what's up guys good to see you brother good to see you too familiar faces a wonderful thing great talk so yeah. far great topic very cool topic yeah. <laughs> <laughs> polikala polikala 
That's cool, man. Yeah, yeah. This is a this is a very interesting thing. The idea of underground in general is just it's everywhere. Yeah. It's it's under our feet all the time. You know, we don't think about it most of the time, too. We were talking we were talking back and forth about it a little bit today, and at the same time, we sent each other a message about the new Legend of Zelda game has an entire underground world underneath Hyrule, right? And like we we wrote a little paragraph about it each and sent it simultaneously. It was pretty funny. <laughs> it was the same. It might have been the same five seconds span. It was immediate. So we were both we both had it on our minds, you know. <laughs> and there's no way I can get to that game at this point in my life, but that's an interesting thing because the original was made on. You know, he was he was spelunking around caves, and that was the impetus for Zelda to begin with. So maybe this was his goal all along. You know, thirty oh, plus, yeah. plus years later, the the guy who created Zelda was the, that's where the answer yeah, came Shigeru, from. Shigeru Miyamoto. Hey, Gabe. What? I think I might be hearing my voice come back a little bit in one of either yours or the other person's uh, mic. So if you could just turn the volume down slightly, it'd probably be good. Or mute discipline. Either is all right. Okay, so we have a vibrant call-in line for anybody that's not aware of that, and it's on Telegram, and you can send us stuff that you would like us to mention or show on the screen, and Cody sent us, (laughs) wow, he says, America's the old world, not the new. You know, this is very interesting. Look Mm -hmm. at the shape of this formation in the Grand Canyon compared to this right here. It's interesting. It's not maybe possible to make a claim out of that but it is really cool i appreciate this definitely food for thought i mean there's stuff to support the idea of america being the old world not the new in my slideshow so i'm definitely down with that concept (laughs) absolutely yeah manly p hall has talked about it a lot too the earlier you know pre-native american if you want to call it that Right on. So, George, before we you know press on tell me more about how you're doing over there in kentucky Oh, yes. Kentucky is amazing. Um, it's inspiring to be here. You know, the air is different. The, the, the sunrise and sunset is different. Everything's different here. It's, it's, it's nice. It's a nice change. And um, we're starting to find our way. It hasn't even really been two months yet, actually. So um, <laughs> it's interesting that it feels like it's been much longer, actually, you know, because of the, the nature of the process of moving your whole life here. But um, like you said earlier, the Mammoth Cave System is supposed to be the largest one in the world. I, I don't know if I necessarily believe that that is a hundred percent possible, but maybe it is, maybe the biggest one is here. You know, there's tons of huge ones in South America too. So I'm excited about the, the local stuff that we're going to be checking out soon, especially come summertime. And, um, and the show is, you know, I got, I kind of had like a little slump about a few weeks of a slump there, but I'm, I'm back on track for sure. And I'm definitely going to be doing like a, a few music related things, frequency, stuff like that. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to that too. You know, it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting year. Definitely. For third eye edify. Cool, man. If you ever put something out that you would like to have a more expansive talk about, you know, just send me the link to the content and me and Gabe will check it out and we can get a freewheeling vibrant going on the subject. That sounds good. Actually. I just did a little tiny Bermuda triangle thing that I think that that would have been a perfect qualifier for, for just such a talk, but I've got some other things in mind too, that I, you guys are actually, I, I thought of you first. I won't say what it is now, but yeah, that sounds like a really good idea, actually. Well, it's funny that the Greek guy shows up and <laughs> my next slide is Greek. Uh-huh. So now I'm going to show some hypogeum. Hypogeum. 
literally meaning underground from the Greek hypo, under, and gay, earth, an underground temple or tomb. Yeah, I think, George, I think it might actually be you. Maybe your uh, ear, your headphones are picking up into your mic a little bit. Hmm. Yeah, I think lower more, a little, sure. Lower more. Thanks, man. Absolutely. Is that any better? I think so. Yeah. Super good. Great, cool. Great. So hypogea will often contain niches for cremated human remains or loculi, loculi for buried remains. So the, the locus or the loculi, that reminds me so much of logos, logos as a word. I mean, we know the C and G interchange. <laughs> so uh, the later Christians built similar underground shrines, crypts and tombs, which are called catacombs. But this was only a difference in name rather than purpose and rituals. And archaeological and historical research shows they were effectively the same. So there are so many examples of these hypogeum around the world that it's kind of like the stupas of that the Buddhists made and that you see in the Pictish towers in, in on the British islands and in other parts of the world as well. Like there's something about, there's something about this diffusion of burial architecture and the similarities between it that is very strong evidence of whatever an ancient universal system might have been. Because, you know, <laughs> you just wake up in the Garden of Eden, metaphorically speaking, humans emerge into existence. And like, we're, it's not self-evident that you'd want to start building towers and underground catacombs and tombs and stuff to put dead bodies in. Like, like that's very specific behavior. <laughs> yeah, good point. Good point. And, and I think Pompeii oh, ahead, wasn't Pompeii. A, didn't that get a whole like you know similar to what you're talking about in Rome? Wasn't there a whole system that kind of just buried for a long time that they only uncovered recently? Yeah, I didn't even include it into this, but I did look at that today. Pompeii has uh, really amazing on like sewer systems and their road systems are fantastic and like their, their piping and plumbing and they had like heating, they had a uh, central heating, <laughs> you know, they had pipes that would run hot air through their buildings. Oh, and Gabe, I didn't even mention this. Um, let me look it up. The, well, actually I don't think I have much of a quote on it, but Valentia, the original city before it became Rome, the Etrurian city. Mm -hmm. There's, there's whispers, you know, in the archaic writers that that city was destroyed by a volcano. Hmm. And that's why it's just the underground stuff that is still around and was built on top of. I know that tickles uh -huh. your fancy there. <laughs> Man, it's, it's crazy. And it'd be even crazier if it was a volcano that erupted on the volcano holiday. Huh. They have a strange tendency for blowing up right on. Volcanalia. Wow. Uh, uh, let's see. If you uh, would, I know we've talked about it before, but expand on that, man. I mean, there's yeah. people that are new to that weave. So, um, the, Vesuvius, that's the one. Vesuvius erupted on Volcanalia on the holiday of the volcano, is when Vesuvius erupted, we're told. Right. Um, uh, I, I'm inclined to think that it was not on the year that they tell us, but. I do uh, 
get a real kick out of believing that it was on the holiday that they tell us it was. Um, but then the same thing happened in 1883. Um, Krakatoa erupted on the volcano holiday, which is uh, generally August 23rd. Uh, it's a three-day holiday. And then it runs into another three-day holiday, which is Vulturnalia. So there's like a whole week of holidays at the end of August. Um, then all these freaking volcanoes always always be popping off on the volcano days, which is uh, X on the Analima also. It's when the Analima is crossing wow. over itself. Wow. Do you think that something along the lines, just, just considering the idea that you just showed a little Egyptian shot there, and the idea is that pyramids and volcanoes have a lot of similarities with their chambers and stuff, you think, just throwing it out there now that you made me think of this, is that the idea of weather manipulation potential volcano frequency manipulation is there the fact that it's falling on that holiday i mean it's a humongous coincidence i mean i think so <laughs> and i think it Obviously. might not be technological in the sense of electronics and gadgets but technological in the sense of language and consciousness yeah right you know like the stories of Wizards creating storms to take out enemy fleets. That's the only reason that it's not really recorded in the, in Herodotus's histories or anything, but it is very interesting. If it's true, of course, we, it's all a story at this point, but if it's true that when the Persians attacked Greece, that the reason why the Athenian fleet won was because storms took out a bunch of the Persian ships. There's something interesting about that. I mean, I have, <laughs> I, I know this is anecdotal, but like I've stood around with people before and got us all to focus our intention and our energy at certain points in the clouds and get the clouds to like, you know, back in the day at music festivals, the storm fronts rolling up. It's like a wall of storm clouds and me and a couple of friends, I'm just like, everybody focus right there. And imagine the clouds breaking in half, splitting and going in two directions and going around us. And it has happened. I've, I'm not saying I made it happen or that we made it happen, but I have experienced intending for something like that to happen, visualizing it, focusing on it and watching it happen. So, you know, what else is possible? Who knows? But we've also seen a lot of us very direct results with Oregon technology in counteracting the spraying that goes on above our heads. So, <laughs> there's a lot possible i think and maybe volcanoes could be potentially in some way influenced as well by you know we're we're a big collective consciousness network here on this planet we're enmeshed in the same framework of thought intention and awareness so who knows man who knows but there's definitely an accounts of older versions of religion or spirituality being about ways to get either the devil to do what you want or even to control God in a sense, like to get God to do what you want. Whereas now the, the, the view is more like you're asking, you're praying, you're pleading. Right. But there were previous ways of looking at it where it was like you had a, some command over the divine. If you, you know, lined everything up, right. I don't know what is or isn't true, but 
Logan says I had that exact same situation at Bonnaroo a few years back and the storm split and went around to the farm. Yeah, man, it's t- so doable. <laughs> so I hope everyone gets a chance to do that experiment sometime. It's very satisfying. Wow. And why build a city at the at the base of a volcano unless you had the confidence in being able to at least have some kind of manipulation over? I don't know. It's It seems like a humongous risk. I know you can take advantage of it, of course, like you were saying, they had a potential central heating system because of it. But does the risk outweigh it, knowing that it could all go down in one in one day? There is a big advantage to being around volcanoes with hot water, especially in or just in hot springs in general. You know, especially in the colder climates where you can possibly have like a little bubble of warmth and even grow things year round where it's snowing everywhere else. If you pipe in the hot water to your greenhouse or to your, your garden area. Right. So yeah, <laughs> there's accounts of that, especially in like ice Iceland or Greenland. I can't remember which, but the land is more fertile around volcanoes. Yeah. And I have slides coming up from uh, South America of some potential like lava tube tunnels, being used as underground city as well. So, but Gabe, before I get into more of my slides, do you want to tell us a bit about your, your Hades discovery or what it is that you, you sent something to our interverse telegram chat earlier today. And uh, I kind of glanced at it, but then I was like, Oh, I'm saving this. I want Gabe to lay it on us. (laughs) Um, uh, Well, uh, I'm actually not sure what it was in the telegram that I was uh, on about. Um, but I, w- I will share uh, part of my discovery is like, um, it just kind of keeps gaining more and more meaning. So the, the fact that Argon is, uh, here we go, nice. Yeah. So, so yeah, the fact that Argon, its name means lazy or slothful, it's used to, uh, to kill animals uh, in uh, in the food industry, um, it may or may not be seeping out of this uh, this uh, temple to Hades. is all very fascinating to me. Uh, it's really blowing my mind. Well, uh, there's a lot more going on. It turns out that uh, there's two two other supporting facts have come to light. One is that um, in the Cratylus, Socrates clarifies that Hades' Hades name actually uh, translates to the knower of all noble things. That's that's like a, I don't want to say secret, but that's like a, um, a lesser known truth to the name Hades. It means the, uh, the knower of all noble things. And also, I've discovered that all of the noble gases are new arrivals. They've only newly been added to the periodic table. And in fact, they are all noble things. <laughs> um, they were hidden before. They were, they were there, but they were not uh, observed. They were not uh, recognized on the periodic table. Um, sometimes they used to be called the zero group. It's now called the 18th group. But the names of these noble gases 
literally translates to um, Xenon is, I'm pretty sure is stranger. Uh, Neo Neon is new, and Argon is uh, hidden. Hold on, what's the other one? Not to mention the whole Arg of it all, like Argon. Oh, and Krypton. That's that's the other one. So, so Neon, Krypton, and Xenon translate to a new hidden stranger. <laughs> is literally the name of these uh, noble gases on the end of the periodic table. And what's uh-huh. blowing my mind is that Hades is the god who is who knows all noble things. And so there's this really weird hidden dimension to the periodic table project that is like just kind of popped in out of nowhere. And also another thing about those elements is that they sum to nine, like uh, Krypton is 36. Uh, let me get, get this right. Krypton is 36. Xenon is 54. Uh, neon is 10. So they, uh, they, they are all at the very end of the periodic table and they summarize to a nine or I guess neon is a one is an exception. Wow. But yeah, that's, uh, all of that has been on my radar lately. Uh, and it's just so strange to find out, to kind of consider like, okay, we had a periodic table that didn't have these blocks on the table at all, but they were there anyways. Even though we didn't have it on the table, it was all there all along, you know? And it's like, we just had a language to talk about it. And because the language gave us room to add it to our paradigm, now we have a bigger periodic table. It's pretty sick, man. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. What What an amazing connection. What about the Argonauts? Any relation to the Argon? I don't. I don't really know. As far as the myth that I know, it doesn't seem like there is. But yeah, why, why it, so similar? It's a Greek thing too, you know. Totally, yeah. So it's a, it's a half of a ship in the in the zodiac. Right. It's only half of a ship, so it doesn't. It it uh, so it would be slothful, or lazy, or it wouldn't be going anywhere because it's right. because it's uh, cut in half, and it's uh, so it lives up to its name even in that aspect as well. And I guess unfinished, which kind of relates to what we're discussing, because a lot of these things like the, um, you know, the Easter Island statues and, you know, Stonehenge and the Sphinx, there's all these things that, oh, look, there's more underneath. We didn't even realize all this time. Unfinished work and discovery, too, as far as nice. what we're doing right now. Great point, man. Great point. Yes, I love that. And maybe that is that worth discussing right now or later? But, you know, the idea that why why is it always oh suddenly we just found out there's all this stuff underneath. We had no idea. It's always we had no idea, you know, uh-huh. always that, no matter what, all the all different topics you can think of, even in wartime. You know, we had no idea that they could make airplanes like us like you had no idea. You know, it's, it's always <laughs> seems like kind of a lot of BS. <laughs> so this is something that Lynn and I've talked about, but how Haiti like the country Haiti is philologically like Haiti because the T to the D switch. And (laughs) he's like, wow, 80 
eighties, as the Greeks would write it, right. looks like AIDS. And then combine that with Haiti and you know, the there's something very weird about all this. <laughs> very weird. Yes. Uh uh I think it was uh our buddy Lou who brought up that um the uh the Gauls, essentially the Gauls they were very proud to uh, associate themselves with descendants of Dis or Pluto. And so I, my theory is that, um, that there is, that there is a culture somewhere along the lines uh, who, how do I say this? This is so hard to explain. I think that our language is very subtly, generating a um gosh i guess the it's plato's realm of forms is what i think it is i think that this this realm of forms uh that my project is kind of uh giving shape to uh i think it's uh it's alive and well um but i don't speak enough french and enough uh greek uh, to you know, to have more substance to the shape of the of the of the. I mean, I keep calling, wanting to call it a room or a building. You know, it's like a, it's like a strange temple. Um, but yeah, essentially, uh, uh, Hades up there, number nine at the top, is uh, he's like uh, overseeing a, a dinner hall or a dinner a, din- a dinner table. Yeah, he's an old gas bag. Hades is basically a big old gas bag, Rachel says. <laughs> well, so what I really meant, though, when I asked you about <laughs> what you put into the group earlier was this Plutonion at Hierapolis, which Thank I you. just realized Hierapolis, how the, the Greeks would never say an H at the beginning of a word. Right. Uh, it's Ira Polis. <laughs> it's Ira's city. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> I'll read I'll read this here. The Plutonion at Hierapolis, place of Pluto or Pluto's Gate, a religious site dedicated to the god Pluto, who is Hades, in the ancient city of Hierapolis near Pamukkale. In modern Turkey's Denizli province, not discovered until 1965. That's always sus, but I mean, it's clearly there. So <laughs> it's clearly there. Uh, wow. Okay. The nearby Apollo's Oracle of Hierapolis was linked to the existence of the surface trace of a seismic fault on which both sanctuaries were purposely built and which was revered as a gateway of Hades. Apollo's Oracle at Hierapolis. Yeah, so there's lots of stories about it. the Oracle of Apollo, Pythian Oracle having these vapors coming up from the ground that somehow, you know, gave a divine madness to the oracles there. <laughs> yeah. So, um, what 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 did you what were you thinking about this man? Like you're just showing us this. Um, how extensive is the underground capacity of this? I'm going to look and see if I can find other images of it. I didn't look. 
Well, they say that the people who worked there uh, actually did go underneath into into the toxic fumes, and that they wonder how they were able to survive, like if they were holding their breath or if they had like little pocket areas that they would go to so that they wouldn't die. Um, uh, but yeah, I agree. It is pretty sus that it's uh, recently discovered. Um, uh, there was a story about a lady uh, who she had passed away and her husband was kind of, he like kind of cheated on the funeral rites. He didn't, he didn't pay for the a proper burial. And uh, so he went to uh, have the oracles ask her where the, where she hid the jewels, the family riches. And the oracles came back with a, with a um, kind of like a, a riddle that only he would know. And uh, to tell him, no, nope, I'm not going to tell you where the family jewels are because I know that you didn't do the right thing when you buried me. And so uh, she basically said something along the lines of he put his laurels in a cold oven. Hmm. And that's because uh, he got it on with her before he buried her. (laughs) (laughs) So only she would know that. Uh, So the oracles told him the, this puzzle that only he could solve. And because he solved the puzzle, he knew that the oracles knew that he got on with his wife before he, she got put in the ground. Um, so then he had to go and burn a, a robe for her so that she can have the proper clothes in Hades. And I just find that so fascinating that um, there's so much detail to the protocol around uh, communicating with your dead ones uh, from, the, from the hereafter. I think it's also interesting how they the Roman word for this is plutonium instead of yes. plutonion. Hmm. So plutonium, isn't that like a claim to be an element? Probably right. It's radioactive. You know, it makes you wonder if there's a mythos about these deadly vapors or, you know, the, the, the headline accompanying this image is, about what you said that deadly carbon dioxide is what killed the victims here at, <laughs> <laughs> according to what's this website science.org <laughs> well we know we know the science is trademarked uh, by at least there was a trademark owner on the science it, as of 2016 right. named Ira Goodsaid mm-hmm. so Ira <laughs> trademarked <laughs> Iropolis, it just it writes itself. But <laughs> my point being that you know I'm I'm suspect of the whole narrative of radioactivity and deadly radiation and even the idea of deadly vapors coming from within the earth. I don't know. It could be a sort of defense narrative to keep people from exploring what may be vast underground networks. Who knows? I mean, this is all just high octane speculation, but it's it's got to be considered. This was a cool Twitter post, though, on it that the Hierapolis was a city built on a plateau over the modern Turkish site of Pamukkale, 
meaning cotton cliffs. Very interesting landscape here. Right? And, wow, is, uh, that, is that ice? Wow, that is really fascinating. Yeah, pretty cool. Because it's it's just bizarre that you'd have on one hand the story of like deadly gases, deadly yada yada, but on the other hand, these are spa towns where the waters are said to have healing properties. So like, which is it? Is it deadly CO2 going to kill everybody and the world's going to blow up like a matchstick or is it healing waters? Because, you know, in a very simple sense, if we just get into the binary of yin and yang, so to speak, solar energy is healing energy. Well, what's it's, it's hot, (laughs) you know, it's warmth. Energy is sort of measured by like how warm is it or not warm is it? The lack of or the abundance of. So these naturally warmed waters help induce health. That makes perfect sense. And what is radiation in the most basic term is like something's radiating heat off of it, radiating energy off of it. I don't see how that's necessarily dangerous unless maybe it's like a some kind of oh too much, you know, then Obviously, you can get too much, but just thinking out loud here, <laughs> we can go back to my slideshow, though. Uh, I've got plenty to show and tell. Oh, yeah. I think it's, I think it's just so funny that how, how convenient that they find a, you know, a, a new a tourist hotspot that's dumping out carbon, poisonous carbon to kill us all. Of course, and the and the uh, Egyptian tombs, right? Wasn't it Tutankhamun's curse or something that you shouldn't go in there? And everyone that activated right. it died immediately, and they were blaming right. it on that as opposed to uh, running off with whatever they found or whatever it happens to be. Just the easy easy way to keep people away from stuff. Joe Cool says radium is found on in Florida under the orange trees, and as such, the radium goes through the tree roots and into the fruit, and then we eat it. Nice. Yeah, and Booty Yoga is talking about the radium health fad in the early 1900s as a cure-all. Radium Springs. There's literally springs in like Colorado called Radium Springs. Yeah, it's deadly radiation. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is deadly. It will kill you. It's classic inversion, in my opinion. It is. A radiant being is a good thing. Yeah. So back to this idea of hypogeum. I thought this one was really cool. The hypogeum of the voluminous family, which by the way, that's how you spell volume, which I think is interesting. Like as in a book, Hmm. the voluminous family is an Etruscan tomb in Ponte San Giovanni, a suburb of Perugia, Umbria in central Italy. It's dating is uncertain. Definitely uncertain, although it is generally assigned to the third century BC. According to the mainstream, it's part of the larger Palazzone Necropolis, a burial ground dating to the sixth to fifth century BC with numerous subterranean tombs. So this is awesome. I I really like how you can see the carvings in Etruscan, uh, in the Etruscan script. And look at these... (laughs) Like, look at these angels down here, man. This looks like something out of Christendom. But they're claiming it's 5th to 6th century BC or 3rd century BC or whatever. And here you have 
who is at the top? Who's the ruler? He's on a couch. You know, he's the sofa rain sovereign. Yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. I'm, I'm, I really like, I just really like this. It's really cool. And I grabbed a image of a laser scan of like a side profile of the hypogeum. And it's pretty amazing to even dig something like this out that at that time depth. And this is before it was even, I mean, this is after the antique, like the super old things like the, the Roman aqueducts theoretically, or the, sorry, the cloaca maxima. So now I'm going to take us over to, um, yeah, to Mexico. A lot of this in the next few slides is coming from a guy named Marco Vigato. And he's an author. He has a blog spot, unchartedruins.blogspot.com. So credit where credit due. He says, just like Peru, with its countless legends of ancient tunnels and buried treasure, rumors of a vast ancient tunnel network that extends under much of Mexico and Central America are nearly as plentiful, many dating to a time earlier than that of the Spanish conquest. The Aztecs themselves believed that their ancestors had emerged from this mysterious underworld after a great cataclysm. In Aztec myths and legends, this underground world was known as Chico Maztoc, the place of the seven caverns. Seven caverns, seven levels, seven rivers, seven rings. It's the same mythos, man. Maya creation stories also speak of the underground kingdom of Chibalba as a real physical place. Zibalba. I don't know how they actually say that. <laughs> Huibalba. Chibalba, maybe. Chibalba. Well, there's Baal right in the middle of it. <laughs> <laughs> a real physical place, underground kingdom of Zibalba, from which humanity had emerged at the dawn of time. Caves and ancient tunnels were believed to be the gates to this mysterious subterranean world. So yeah, here's man. the entrance to the Maya labyrinth at Laxchilan in Chiapas. Like, whoa, man. <laughs> yeah. I should, I'm going to leave this up. You guys comment so people can get a chance to look at this. Well, um, so the seven, um, there are seven rivers around Hades. That's the river Styx generates uh, seven seven rings around Hades. Um, so there's another, that's another seven correspondence to an underworld. Yeah, and I um, actually, when I was on your show chance a while back, um, I pointed out that the seven notes of the scale, if you only play the seven and don't go to the octave, it's a very jarring, almost, um, it, it's, it's an incomplete feeling. It's, it's like an incomplete thought almost. And um, the river sticks being a passageway and not the end, not the end makes sense. You know, the, set, the number seven makes a lot of sense there. Nice. That's a good weave from Dylan. Chiapas is literally father X, the wow. he, and Appa. Appa is Papa. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. And uh, I also notice a lot of the South American stuff. It, it Maybe I'm wrong, but I tend to notice that it has smaller bricks overall when they, and they're not, you know, evenly placed. They're just kind of, they're different shapes, different sizes, but 
they're they're often smaller in size, especially when you, you showed some of the pictures earlier of um you know the place in Rome, and that it seemed like they were much larger in, in certain spots anyway. Much I larger. I think it depends on where you go. I think there's some of both going on. Oh, I see, I see. Well, that might might be something to the you know, the idea that a lot of cities are built on top of other cities and same idea here. Maybe, maybe there was like a middle I heard something. There was a middle section of that and then they possibly expanded out. Maybe that's why they look so different in certain spots. Totally, man. You know, I really love thinking about everything being built on top of something else that I, I don't really buy the whole notion of the, in the beginning, you know, ex nihilo type of big bang, no reality, then there's a reality type of thing. To me, it makes more sense that existence is eternal. And, you know, philosophically, it's more airtight to me to consider that it's existence has always existed. So if that's the case, who knows how far down the layers go? You know, we just life is generating itself over and over again. And then that life is turning to dust and to dirt and layering on top of itself. And like, cities built on cities temples built on temples who knows how many layers down <laughs> maybe it just goes forever you know it's a it's an interesting thought so this is the hill of Tezcatzingo Tezcatzingo overlooking the ancient city of Texcoco a short distance from Mexico City. It contains the remains of several monolithic temples, rock-cut stairways, and artificial aqueducts. It's believed that these remains date to the time of the king Nezahual Coyotl, 1402-1472 AD, who built a magnificent palace on the hill. To me, that's suspicious <laughs> dating. It might it seems older than that, but the unusual megalithic character and severe erosion of these structures may, however, point to an antiquity far more remote than the foundation of the city of Mexico by the Aztecs. Several cave entrances are visible on the hill of Tezcatzingo, all of which are presently blocked. Womp womp. <laughs> <laughs> when Bullock visited the ruins of Texcoco with the hill of Tetzcoco in Tetzcozingo <laughs> Tetzcozingo in eighteen twenty four he could still admire the ruins of several pyramids and the great palace of the kings on of Texcoco on the hill in eighteen twenty four man like between eighteen hundred and eighteen fifty so much got is no longer accessible. And on all levels. Anyway, to continue, <clears throat> he says, of huge basaltic stones carved and polished with the utmost exactness, the great palace of the kings. Bullock also described the whole mountain as entirely perforated by artificial excavations in which immense riches were said to be buried. Although for no amount of money, his guides would accept to take him into the underground labyrinth. A tunnel entrance dug into one of the flanks of the hills of the hill leads through a steep descending passageway to an underground chamber. The entrance to another collapsed tunnel is visible below the floor of the chamber. It is rumored that this tunnel connects with another blocked passage exiting below a large monolithic basin known as the Bath of the King. A bath. You know, like there's a theme here, but we're in totally different parts of the world. <laughs> definitely <laughs> themes here so I, I don't yeah hmm. I don't have images of in, 
inside these ancient tunnels of Tetzcoatzingo, but there's this image here of the ancient metropolis of Teot Ihuacan. There's Teot, by the way, Teot. That's Thoth. Yes. Teot Ihuacan. The ancient metropolis contains three massive pyramids and hundreds of structures. At its height, between the 2nd and 5th century AD, allegedly, it was home to an estimated population of 250,000, which would have made it the largest ancient city in the pre-Columbian world, the, quote, Rome of America, unquote. (laughs) (laughs) Yet the identity of the city's original builders is still shrouded in mystery. A vast labyrinth of man-made tunnels and natural lava caves exists under the ancient metropolis, believed to extend for tens, if not hundreds of miles. Dang. <laughs> so there, this, there are some images of, but yeah, there's all these tunnels and there's like suit marks, you know, from torches and fires being in there. So there's definitely lots of evidence of human habitation inside of here. My eyes are catching a weird glimpse at this image here. Is anyone else seeing that? I, I feel like I'm looking at a miniature. I can't explain it. Oh. It's very strange to me. I think the people were very small. Maybe the roof is quite short. <laughs> well, you know, those steps, man. Those steps in Costa Maya are real tiny. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, I always think about um, Michael Wan's work with um, anthracite coal is a type of coal that when it burns, it doesn't give off any smoke. Mm. It's a smokeless burning coal, uh, which would allow people to be in caves or, you know, crazy locations with no, uh, with no soot on the, on the roofs. You know, they could have light without any, uh, without leaving any uh, CO2 uh, footprint, so to say. Ceiling footprint. <laughs> Wow. I've never we got some cool stuff from our call-in line. So Louis showed us some images of his trip to Rome. Thanks for that. I'll put these up. Hey, all right. God, I got to see cool. it. I really want to go. Wow. The Colosseum, classic. Oh, that's cool. That's an arc. <laughs> it's a box. Wow. There's, so there's Cupid, Eros right there. Eros is on the arc. As is appropriate, that's the savior riding the boat or the box. Very appropriate. Man, this just looks like something. It's so like the line between Hindu and Roman is really blurry with this artifact, in my yeah, opinion. You're right. I yeah. see it too. Super blurry. Higgins thought that India is where Rome got its mythos. I don't know. It, I, I don't know wh- who got where from what, but I do know that <laughs> there's obviously connections. Whoa, that's a cool basin. Man, people like ancestors just built stuff with so much more reverence for the future and for <laughs> aesthetics. And thanks, guys. Thanks for. <laughs> hey, what's up, Louie? <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Or Louis's friend, assuming that's you. Oh. <laughs> cool, thanks for that. And then here is a radium water fountain in Florida that Joe Cool sent us. 
<laughs> the water from this the water from this well exceeds the maximum contaminant levels of radioactivity as determined by the US EPA. But you can still use it. (laughs) Like it can't be that bad. Oh my gosh. I would totally, you know, uh, well, I would, I would want to know if this is going through like the city water systems or whatever, or (laughs) straight from the underground. But if it's just straight from the underground, I'm in. (laughs) (laughs) They sent us a little screenshot from the radioactive fountain of youth. Okay. In the corner of Marion and Taylor in the town of Punta Gorda in Florida is a public water fountain that tourists and locals alike have been drinking from for more than a 100 years. In fact, people drive thousands of miles in order to take sips from it because mm-hmm. they believe that this worn down green tiled drinking fountain is the fabled fountain of youth that the six, 6th century, 16th century Spanish explorer Juan Ponce de Leon had been searching for when, when he arrived in Florida. The concrete block was built in 1926, but Punta Gordian. Gordians claim the fountain existed as far back as 1894. During its most popular period, the artesian well drew such long lines of tourists that the fountain's handle had to be replaced every six months. But 30 years ago, the city tried to shut it down because the water was found to be laced with radioactive radium and sulfur, which gives it a rotten egg smell. But the people resisted. Good on them. Yeah. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. What about all the germs, guys? <laughs> Can't be sharing water like that. <laughs> that is cool, though. Thanks for that share, uh, Louie and Joe. Appreciate that. I love when people could throw stuff into the calling line. Really do. Yeah, that was cool. You know, I don't always promote it as much as I should, but like kind of the intent of the vibrant thing is about the community interaction. So I appreciate it a lot. Continuing with some slides, this is still stuff from uh, Vigato. So this is also in in Mexico, the ancient city of Mitla. And so here you see some bigger blocks. This looks Egyptian, not, you know what I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. and Mitla is philologically, it's no different than Mithra. Mithra. Yeah. T becomes T-H-R and L switch. Mitla, Mithra. I'm not, you know, that's not um, evidence of anything, but it is a connection that is there linguistically. So these are really cool. Um, And then at Yagul, a short distance from Mitla, Mithra, one can still see the entrances to the many ancient tunnels believed to be part of an immense necropolis. Is it Yagul? Yagul. Oh man! So the the um, the star uh, that is the eye of Medusa is the Algol star, uh, A L G O L, and it's just a few degrees away from the Mithra uh, um, Ariga constellation. Wow! Good connection, man. From Mitla to Malta, because that's what, you know, Mitla made me think of Malta. So I was like, what's yeah. in Malta? I know that there's Phoenician stuff there. So this is the Al-Safliani Hypogeum. Hypogeum. Whoa. The mainstream claims this goes back to 4000 BC, which is really something, if that's accurate. I don't know how you could really know. <laughs> so that's under, this is under the under Malta. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. So this is, uh, I mean, this is very likely, this is where the, uh, the story of you bring in an initiate and they, uh, you know, it's all timed out. You know, there's so many other details to this. Like, you know, they have a, a meal and then, um, and then they wait for the meal to sink in. So there's like a long prolonged ritual so that the, so that the, so the, uh, intoxicants can, uh, have, have their effect. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they will sit them down in front of a, uh, a, the Baphomet head, you know, the, the, decapitated head of a goat and um they have a conversation with it (laughs) this is so crazy but um but what's unique about the underneath malta is there is there are corridors where if you're in the right location you can actually have voices transmitted into your mind so that you will hear a voice with no echo in the caves. But if you're in the exact right spot, it sounds like the voice is inside your own head. And that's what's unique about Malta. And, um, and that's part of its mythology. But then um, on the public-facing side, this is no conspiracy. This is not hidden. This is totally in the wide open. Up above on the island of Malta, they have these sonic... Uh, uh, dishes. They're like a stone dish that's pointing at the sky, and they use it uh, to pick up uh, the sound waves of uh, of airplanes. Hmm. So they literally have sonic dishes that can hear airplanes from extremely far away up above, and they have the same thing going down that goes into the mind of the initiates down below. That is a trip. Wow. So much going on in one spot. So, Gabe, I, in my studies of the Greek language, I have found out that the way to say I have, like I have this or that, I have some beer. You'd say echo ligibira. <laughs> I have some beer. Echo. echo I have this I, echo. I, oh, my gosh. Isn't that interesting? That really is interesting. Yeah, I've heard it. The, the the tongue that I got my Greek from said echo, like echo, you know. Yeah, it's not more. like echo the way we, it's not a hard CH. It's like, you know, the Greek, like echo, echo, yeah. you know, yeah. it's like but, a but soft word echo, man. That's, that's a great connection there. Yeah, I mean, wow. it is, it's the, it's, it's eta, or I'm sorry, it's uh, epsilon P omega. So like, it looks like EXO. Or ECHO. It's basically Echo, though, you know, just yeah. fun for fun fact. Now you guys know how to say I have. You say, I have some wine in Greek. You say, Echo Ligo Grassi. <laughs> there you go. Echo Ligo Grassi. I have some wine. I mean, I know it's funny. It's funny how like the oh, the learn like the early lessons of learning a language is like how to buy stuff how to say how much something costs or ask how much something costs. And then like how to order drinks, <laughs> how to order drinks is like one of the first things they teach you. Oh yeah. Here's Brandon. He's emailing me. He's also a Greek, uh, Greek learner. We need nice. to have like a little telegram group of practicing with each other. It'll formulate. 
That's a cool so idea. more about Malta though. Malta has a long history and was inhabited first inhabited. This is according to the mainstream narrative around 5,900 BC. Somehow they know exactly down to the exactly on the dot 5,900 BC. The first inhabitants were farmers and their agricultural methods degraded the soil until the lands became uninhabitable. The islands were repopulated around 3850 BC by a civilization which at its peak built the megalithic temples, which today are among the oldest surviving buildings in the world. That's major antiquity, by the way. <laughs> Just yeah. throw that out there. They, we, you don't hear a lot of stuff about, like, if places don't usually have an idea of anything going back further than about 500 to 1000 BC. So going back that far is crazy. Malta is like a crossroads. If there's a crossroads where a deal with the devil's getting done, Malta might be it. But it's a crossroads as in roads like the sea. So it's always been a big like stop as an island on the trading routes of whoever was currently running the world empire of Middle Earth. So anyway, to continue, the megalithic temple builder civilization collapsed in around 2350 BC, but the islands were then repopulated by Bronze Age warriors soon afterward. Malta's prehistory ends in around 700 BC, when the islands were colonized by the Phoenicians. <laughs> they ruled the islands until they fell in 218 BC to the Roman Republic. So that's fun. You know, I wonder about that colonized in 700 BC by the Phoenicians. Are you sure that that's the truth? Or like whoever were calling the Phoenicians, were they there or a previous version? Like, I don't know. I honestly, I've said it a bunch of times, but I see it as like, there's trade routes, there's navigation, there's like a system of knowing how to get from place to place and what's where. And that knowledge was kept by a certain caste or group of the powerful, the rulers. And then, you know, that's something that like if you killed the mob boss and took over the top of his tower, you'd find like the papers like, oh, here's all the trade routes. Here's where everything's at. Here's where they're getting all that tin. You know, another thing I didn't even mention with the Cloaca Maxima that is freaking interesting is that they built their original sewage systems where the water being piped in was in tin. And the water being in the, the sewage or the waste going out was in lead pipes. And a, a lot of us have probably heard about how the Romans didn't know about lead poisoning and they built a lot of stuff with lead and they got all crazy. Yeah. The Etruscans or whoever was before them in building the city of Valentia, they knew. They definitely knew. And so where are they even getting the tin? Well, there's not a lot of places to get that. It's, uh, it's probably coming from from Britain. <laughs> so that's like way far back. It's like, these are the little details that are just kind of left out of the mainstream, but like, where did they get the tin? You know, and to not just be able to get it, but to know where, how the best way to use it, not to mention their version of Jupiter, the Etruscans was called Tinia. 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 10 is also what it's the number 10. It's the X it's Chiapas is father 10, <laughs> you know, it's Jupiter is you Potter, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, here we go. Dylan says those who've listened to the Holy sailors can hear Phoenician Melita, meaning a place of refuge or sanctuary as it was the Phoenician sanctuary between Sir and the Strait of Gibraltar. 
So yeah, guys, get the Holy Sailors audiobook. That's still pretty fresh. If you haven't listened to it or read it yet, definitely appreciate the support. If you pick up uh, the audiobook, it's going to be linked in the description of this show. Yeah, man. And now like you guys probably want to comment. I'm talking a lot, but I've got some, uh, we can explore some of these megalithic temples of, of Malta if we want. Oh yeah, man. Yeah. I think that they're pretty amazing stuff, man. I'm, I'm into it. Okay, cool. <laughs> this is a fun episode. It's kind of just show and tell. Cause I, I was just exploring some stuff I hadn't heard of as well. Uh, so here's some images from the megalithic temples of Malta, but man, if this is like, Truly the, at the antiquity level that they're claiming, it's pretty amazing. Like 4,000 BC. Who knows? There's some like cool energy about this one on the right. If these stone lentils is a thing. Really cool. You see these spirals, three spiral, three spirals, three spirals. And then I, I didn't make a whole lot of slides on this, but we can see just scroll through the Wikipedia page and look at some of the images. The locations of the megalithic temples in, in Malta, all pretty close to the coast. Um, did you yeah. guys discuss cisterns at yet, yet at all? Or did that come up in any of your research? Not yet. No, we haven't really talked about that. Yeah, maybe. Oh, here's one. This really reminds me of like a Stonehenge. Borgen Nadur. It's pretty cool. Yeah, there's not much left of these. But man, Malta though, <laughs> it's like super wealthy, like elite type of people hang out there as far as I understand. Yeah. And I found that one of the nicest, super fancy, ultra elite hotels there is called the Phoenician. Thought that was funny. <laughs> the Phoenician <laughs> Hotel. Says Talakadi, and they have a Maltese language and everything. There's a lot more research. I mean, we didn't even have we even mentioned the Knights of Malta, right? The Knights of Malta, guys. And I saw that movie, The Maltese Falcon, you know, when I was like seven. I don't remember exactly what the premise was. I wonder if that has anything to do with any of this. The Knights of Malta, the Knights Hospitlier, they are a sovereign military order. <laughs> and I think they might be like the only, I, th I think they have like a s seat on the UN and everything. I think so. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised. I almost bought a, uh, a lighter with their crest on it. Just like, <laughs> so I could uh, falsify my credentials. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm at the club. Wait, the Knights of Malta. There, it's just a pyramid opened up, right? I mean, th these are definitely some wizards right here. <laughs> I mean, not yeah. these guys. They look really goofy, but uh, these guys look pretty wizardly. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Or they came from some wizard shit. Anyway, this is a divert uh, digression, but the Knights of Malta, they're worth opening a, a can of research whoop-ass on someday. Tessarion's done a lot of good work on it. It's just been a while since I've refreshed myself. The ocean yeah. baths in Malta might be ancient fish farms, which could be what the wormhole at in Enishmore is. The wormhole at Enishmore is really interesting. I don't know that. I'll, I'll pull up an image of that. Yeah, yeah, I'd like to see that. 
Yeah, I always think of uh, the Knight to Malta being like the original M to the K. <laughs> you know, Maltese Knights. Hmm. The, Interesting. The original MK. Wow. That's cool, man. I didn't know that. Uh, I thought of that. Yeah, pretty sure uh, Napoleon, before he invaded uh, Egypt, he had to go uh, pay his dues to the Knights of Malta. They had a, they had a, they had to posse up on the island before they invaded. That, that makes sense. the symbol being an overhead view of a, you know like an open splayed out pyramid. That kind of makes sense. You know, maybe they are uh-huh. revealing yeah. that connection with that symbol alone. This Ooh. is in Ireland, I think. Wow. Sure. Oh yes, I remember this. And it's claimed to be a natural formation. I'm pretty sure. Dylan can correct me if I'm wrong about that since he's listening. Wow, that's that's quite a natural rectangle right there. <laughs> right. Do you know the answer to this? Booty says, what does the MK stand for anyways in MK Ultra? Um it could be mind control with a K, could yeah. be monarch. Uh-huh. They'll tell you that it's a combination of uh the UK. They had a branch, uh, basically a CIA branch called Magic. Mm-hmm. And then in the United States, they had a, a project called Ultra. And the Magic and Ultra came together and became uh, Mind Control Ultra. Um, uh, but I, I think it has a lot to do with uh, Malkuth and Keter, uh, which is the feet uh, from the birth certificate. And then the Keter is the crown, which is, you know, the education that we got. Head to toe. Head to toe. To me, man. That's excellent. Okay. So the next one, this is one I'd never seen before when I was doing my exploration on underground stuff. And dudes, this one's really cool. Very labyrinthian. And we're just scratching the surface here, especially with the idea of labyrinths, right? And underground labyrinths. But. You know, there's so much of this around the world that we can only talk about. I got to 40 slides and I was like, all right, all right, all right. <laughs> but this is also in Turkey, the underground city of Darien Kuyu. So these are, I'm not actually sure the antiquity that's associated with this. How old are the underground city Darien Kuyu? Anyway, looking that up real quick. Claimed to be 8th century BC. Claimed, right? <laughs> so, wait till you see. the. This is the above. Whoa. I've never seen this. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know that the catacombs were originally catacombs either. Dylan's asking about that. I don't know if some a lot of the stuff that is claimed to be mm, for burials and whatnot, maybe it wasn't originally. It's a lot of trouble to go for go through for dead people. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like they even appreciate it. <laughs> so wait till you see okay, so this is the above. I just wanted to give people a chance to look at this really they call these like little towers like fairy fairy towers or something. Wow. And this is what the below looks like. It's an ant farm. 
Yeah, there you go. It's like an ant farm from the side view. Very labyrinthian. What a trip. And then see how there's like wells that go all the way down. Here, these long wells. And man, it's so cool. (laughs) This one's just this one just blows my mind. Incredible. And what's also cool about it is uh, there are like entrances to these tunnels that are like in people's basements of their house. (laughs) (laughs) Like some of the old buildings and old homes. Really cool. Yeah, man. They better have a bucket waiting just in case I fall in there. (laughs) I know. (laughs) He's thinking that. Like, the question, it just begs the question, like, why there's lots of space above ground? Why? You know, maybe there's advantages in the winter to being underground. Uh, I reckon Turkey probably gets some good winters for its latitude. I don't know, though, man. It's really interesting. Maybe they're down, they're down there smoking on that opium. <laughs> Uh, fermenting stuff maybe who knows <laughs> evil fandango says this is the public map there are still i'm guessing he means unexcavated rooms and tunnels yeah he does mean that yeah yeah cataclysm protection gregory may says could be man definitely could be i just always wonder if it makes the entire um structure or anything surrounding it flimsier i assume it doesn't they might i'm sure they knew better hmm and then, you know, there's also, um, oh, I always think of, um, oh, the M. Night, M. Night Shyamalan, where, uh, the people, they believe that they're living a hundred, hundreds of years ago. And then it, they come to find out it's actually modern day and oh, they're village. Maybe. And they're all living in a psyop. Like I imagine that could be a possibility too, uh, still to this day in some of these underground tunnels, you know? But they got those people thinking, yeah, the, the world blew up. Right. It blew up on 9-11. The whole world got blown up. Uh, don't go to the surface, yeah. Yeah, it can't go to the surface. I wonder, D- Dylan just brought up Turkey and earthquakes. I mean, I've heard of some earthquakes going on in Turkey. For yes. sure. Makes but one wonder. A- it's interesting how these things survive that. I know. They had a record-breaking earthquake recently. And it's so fascinating how many uh, ancient artifacts are popping up out of Turkey every time I turn around. There's a whole nother half a dozen. And they've been pretty hot in the media yeah. for the past maybe five, ten years, too, regarding um, negative negativity. So, yeah. of course, more and more related things. So that's another thing, you know, stay away kind of thing, even though. Well, just thinking about the name Turkey too, like remember Chiapas, Father X, Tur is Lord, Tor, Sar, Sir, all that, Tur, you know, that's uh-huh. right there in the phonetic. And then Key, it's the X, Key. You know, it's Lord X right there, Turkey. <laughs> you, yeah. keep, you just keep seeing this this naming convention everywhere you look, but it just has a slight variation and it all seems like it's its own thing. But it, you got to wonder. You got to wonder, man. Sure. Turkey, you know, Tar Quinn, Tar Cohen. <laughs> it's all there. 
the day before the earthquake, that most recent huge one, the day before I found two turkey feathers. They were so big. Here, I'm going to go grab Crazy. Dylan says, I came across an account today that suggested the Ionians in Italy were fleeing war in Anatolia, which is Turkey, with the Persians. So the Etruscans allowed them to set up. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Persians, there's lots of stuff like this in Iran. Whoa, that's lots. huge. May make it big. Turkey. <laughs> huge. Looks like a boat paddle. Yeah, that's huge. <laughs> Polymathing says they are Turkey. They're sitting on some of the oldest, most important sites on earth, and their government is super Turk gay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I have, a, I have a friend in Turkey that I hadn't heard from in a few years, and I'm hoping to uh, actually, you know, have him on again to share some of his story. But he wound up in a Turkish uh, prison for a little while. And uh, it sounded pretty gnarly. Damn. <clears throat> what he said about Turkey seems to ring pretty true for Iraq, Iran, Syria, Afghanistan, all those places, too. No surprise, of course. Yeah, it's almost like they keep the hot potato of war bouncing around in those in certain spots just to keep like, you know, to make it difficult for any kind of research into the antiquity of stuff to be achieved. Sure. So here's one. I don't have a lot on this. I do have like a little video clip. Uh, we won't be able to hear the audio, but this is Boto Shani. Boto, Budo, same thing, by the way. Shani. Boto Shani in Romania. Miles of underground tunnels have not even been mapped all the way yet. There's barely anything on this. <laughs> it's only recently been found and people were finding entrances in their, you know, in their house. So here's a little, <laughs> you got to go to Al Jazeera for information on this. Right. <laughs> Actually, I might be able to make it audible. It might be kind of quiet. Hold on. Give me just a second. Yeah, let's try that. I don't want to just, and hopefully YouTube doesn't get pissed. Like Al Jazeera is coming at me with a copyright claim, but you know, I'll tell them sorry if I have to. <laughs> but I wanted to show this clip just because this is cool. This is in Romania, Romania, (laughs) and it's this red brick thing going on again. Okay. It's processing. Watch the copyright. Oh yeah. Maybe I shouldn't, maybe I shouldn't show the video. I don't, I would hate to get kicked off. It's like, <laughs> it's scary, man. Maybe if I just kind of skip around in the video, that'll be safe. That might help. YouTube is literally geared to support big media. He says, yeah, but if you go to the video, you know, with it's Al Jazeera that uploaded it. So they have like a little, you know how YouTube will put a little thing under a video that's like, well, actually the earth is not flat and we've known for a long time. We're actually chemtrails are a conspiracy theory or actually, you know, those little disclaimers that they put under certain things. Encyclopedia Britannica. <laughs> they, give you a, they give you a disclaimer on Al Jazeera, you know, like watch out, you're watching Al Jazeera. So I don't, maybe they don't, you know, maybe they don't have their back for copyright. Maybe they do. So I'll just kind of skip around. An ancient mirage beneath the desert. Due to, due to the PowerPoint. Yeah. 
All right. Technical fun times. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Screen share backup. Okay. So if I just scan through it, we should be okay. Tons going on here. Is this the Turkey one or the Romanian one? I can't, I was kind of in a research, you know, whirlwind. This might be the one in Turkey. There wasn't much on the Romanian tunnels other than that they were huge and that they were. <laughs> Honestly, this looks more like Turkey than Romania. Okay. My bad. I was in a whirlwind. Anyway, fun, fun to look at. It's just, just wild how much of this there is out there. And then I really want to know more about these in Brazil. There's mysterious tunnels beneath Buenos Aires that again, same thing, red brick. Tunnel systems, not fully mapped out. No one even knew about it till fairly recently. Man, I always wonder about um, <clears throat> the potential of using uh, remains of, you know, of the dead in architecture. Oh, yeah. I, I always wonder about that. And I mean, uh, not in all of it, every time, everywhere, ever, but definitely like this Buenos Aires. You know, it's definitely a big thing throughout Europe. Yeah. Are either of you familiar with Attack on Titan story, the story behind it? No, what's that? Well, there's no time to get into all the details, but there, there is um, at the end of like, let's say the first season, because I, I watched it, I didn't read it and uh, regrettably, but you know, I didn't have time. And there they find out that, well, first of all, they're just enclosed in the space, just like in the village. And like Shyamalan, they don't realize that there's a whole world out there. They're, they they hear stories of an ocean they don't even know about. They grow up in this thing, right? Because they they have huge walls blocking them off from these ridiculous titans that, that live on the outsides. Bottom line is that at the end of the first season, the wall kind of breaks a little, and you see pieces of these titans inside the walls. There's so many things that, I mean, whatever, call it whatever you want, but there's some flat Earth references for sure, big time. I was very surprised actually. It's a pretty compelling story. It's definitely interesting. I'm no anime freak or anything, but I certainly grew up with a lot of Japanese entertainment. <laughs> and um, if I would suggest any of it, at least like get the cliff notes of the whole story. You'd be interested. I assure you, you'll be interested. It's very interesting. They, the Japanese love to play with Western esoterica or cultism. Definitely. <laughs> There's always a lot of gravy in that. They love Gnostic stuff, most of all. Um, the, also I found out that Tolkien in the Lord of the Rings, man, he had a flat earth cosmology for middle earth. What was kind of interesting about it was that in his conceptualization, it was flat, but then, uh, when the West was removed from the world in a sense, like the realm of the gods in the West, 
aka America <laughs> was removed because Middle Earth is clearly Europe. Like there's correlates that are definite. Like there's the the top left corner is named like Linden or something, you know, like London. <laughs> anyway, when uh, in Tolkien's cosmology, I want to find more of the like actual letters where he talked about this because it was never really specifically in the literature. But he he had a lot of exposition about his whole realm in letters that he sent to different people uh, and his correspondences with the other guys from his university, like C.S. Lewis. And he had, uh, yeah, he had this idea that Middle Earth was flat and then the realm of the gods or the West was removed from the world or made inaccessible to mortals. And at that point, then it became a sphere. So it's like he was a bothist. <laughs> I thought that was pretty interesting. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so the last one uh, in the slides that I have to look at is the Elora Caves in India. Maharashtra, Maharashtra, India. So these are some of the most ancient. How old are the? How old are the Elora Caves? Probably should have had that in there. You know, sometimes I don't even bother looking up like what the mainstream says about something because. <laughs> but it says they were excavated between the fifth and eighth centuries. Wow. From. Uh, okay. So very old, whatever the case. But. This is pretty cool stuff, man. Whoa. It's carved out of a cave system. You know, like the rocks were here. They just carved right. this out of the rocks, you know. Or something. Neanderthals. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely, it seems like we're devolving in a lot yeah. of ways. God, it's just like, how oh, it's like a, I don't know. It looks like cake, you know. It's like you're right, <laughs> kind of billow, billowing. Dude, this does not look like a miniature. Whew, <laughs> <laughs> man! But gave your point. To your point, you know, it makes you wonder if there was some technique to soften the rock to shape it. Yeah, like a cake frequency, perhaps. Kind of looks like it, doesn't it? Looks like it. yes. Like the whole thing got hit with like a softening wave. Polymer. Yes, yes. Yeah, Dylan says, if it turns out that they aren't carved, I think they made it through a secret masonry technique that's equivalent to lost wax casting. Yeah. Yeah, there's a great chance it's something the common person doesn't know right now. Yeah, like carving just doesn't make sense when you think about the amount of work that would take and how, like, if you screw up how it's done, <laughs> you know, like you knock, knock off too much. Yeah, if you compartmentalize that work, it's doesn't seem to make sense. One guy goes, you know, 10 feet over, the next guy starts from there. It doesn't make sense. Wow. And there's your Trinity right there. Vishnu, Shiva, Brahma. Assuming that's who it is. Actually, that's a Buddha. Yeah, these are Buddhist ruins. My bad. This is not Hinduism. Although they're kind of the same thing in different, you know, levels of time. Wow. 
Yeah. So that's uh, that's the end of my show and tell, everybody. <laughs> Hope you guys had fun. This is what I did today. So <laughs> is it worth mentioning that Elon Musk has the boring company and is literally boring and carving out huge underground things in the, in the earth as we speak? And um, is he getting rid of these kinds of things or is he just making brand new ones? It's could be both. I don't know. Mm-hmm. What do you guys know about that? Well, uh, he has, um, let's see, the word Neuralink mm-hmm. is an anagram for Ukraine, Ukraine link, and also uh, uh, X Corp is an anagram for proxy. Oh. So I keep finding all these weird wordplay around Elon Musk's whatever uh, agenda. Tying into Ukraine in the in the craziest way, um, right? And he's contracted to have his Starlink, or they call it, you know, something else when it's the the war drones as opposed to the internet drones. I forgot yes. what to call it now. Instead of Starlink, it's called something else when it's war stuff. But he's contracted. I mean, I'm not the first one to say it, but um, but I am curious, you know, how he's kind of and Neuralink. I mean, I'm probably going to do a whole thing on that. I kind of already did, but I'm going to go a little okay. further with it. It's it's a big deal, man. It's it's kind of beginning of the end stuff, you know. But he's carving out all. And as soon as the boring company came out, I was thinking about how everything, all the images you showed today, are the very first thing I thought of. Is you know, if we're indeed building on top of things, and now we've got this rich dude carving out all these different, you know, and you could do it quickly. Are they just getting rid of more of this stuff? And they could be. You know, one thing I didn't include, but it's pretty interesting, is the martyrdom of St. Sebastian, mm. who was said to have been thrown into the Cloaca Maxima, his body. No way, really. This is the guy who the, he got tied to a tree and shot with arrows, mm. but yeah, didn't die. But then later he got clubbed to death and thrown in the, <laughs> thrown in the Cloaca. But this is a very mm. famous uh, art of that. Yeah. Well, uh, so that brings up. um, um, Well, he's the saint that protects you against the plague. Right. And it's interesting because the way the Romans were doing their sewage system, the water was all the water was intermingled with the sewage. (laughs) So, you know, it wasn't really the the most sanitary setup. Right. So, you know, throwing a corpse like there's it's interesting. the, The corpse in the water, poisoning the well, you know, like all of that idea. And that he's the one, this is the saint that you would call on to protect you from the plague. Just thoughts. Yeah. And Sebastian, uh, I know the time, I know this is, uh, in reverse chronology, but Sebastian is, uh, brings forward, uh, Eddie for me. I'm not familiar with that. Uh, yeah. Anytime I hear St. Sebastian, I always think of Sabbatai. Um, but also I thought I would bring this up since we're talking about Ukraine. Isn't that fascinating that the Magi card has Ukraine colors? Hmm. 
that kind of that kind of hit me the other day, like a ton of bricks. Wow, it's like absolutely perfectly Ukraine colors. <laughs> yeah, that's hard to deny. Yeah, that kind of sucks. wow and uh what about cisterns cisterns are very similar idea to what we're looking at here oh what is this oh boy that's what it is (laughs) i was thinking of how it relates to the word sister you know goddess of cleansing and i mean the sewers are a dirty thing but they also cleanse they keep the area clean so to speak uh-huh. And they knew better than to filter their sewer water and put it back in your drinking water too. So there's that. I wonder when that changed. And cisterns don't they? Uh, they require uh, stirring. Isn't that kind of part of the the nature of a cistern? Is that it keeps moving? I think so. You know, you open one, the other fills the other. I kind of do the they raise and lower it in there, things like that. Because it's not yeah. necessarily a sewer; it's just like a basin. Okay. As far as I know. But it starts with a C also. So there's a relationship there for sure. I didn't realize I was muted, but it seems like everything Musk is involved in is like a some kind of a front uh, to placate people's desire for something and it won't actually ever happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, we have this futuristic car going through a tunnel. Like, oh, geez. Oh, yeah. We're going to have no more traffic. Oh, wow. And, you know, and then like this website just seems like a joke. You know, you have careers, flamethrower, burnt hair. So here it is. He says, the rumor that I'm secretly creating a zombie apocalypse to generate demand for flamethrowers is completely false. Elon Musk. January 28, 2018. There's no blue check mark. I don't buy it. <laughs> but like, <laughs> this is your company. Like, this is on your company. Uh, not a flamethrower. Why? What does this have to do with boring? Like, it's all a big joke. And it's, a, it's an open joke. You know, his entire character is like a, a comedic actor. Safe and effective. <laughs> safe and effective yeah i mean it's the boring company it's a joke like oh this is really boring (laughs) you know they're not really they're they're not really boring into anything like this is all a joke that's my thoughts on his boring company (laughs) (laughs) i agree and there's the the idea of the undersea cables across the whole atlantic you know speaking of underground stuff right oh they don't yeah, get the credit that they deserve. <laughs> expand on that. Expand on that. That's actually wild. Like the internet goes under the sea, right? Yeah. It's just insane. I wish there was more foot. That's another thing. You can't get a lot of footage of that. You know, there isn't even really like a time lapse of them doing the whole thing. How much line do they have on those boats? Or do they get a refill halfway through? Are they uh, in Indonesia? I'm not sure. I'm not sure exactly where it is, but there's a lot of them going back and forth in the, you know, Atlantic and the middle chunk of Europe and US and and South America too, I think. Yeah, according to the internet, more than 95% of international data is transmitted by wires at the bottom of the ocean called submarine communication cables. They are hundreds of thousands of miles long and can lie 8,000 meters below the surface as deep as Mount Everest is tall. 
is that is this is it real i know where <laughs> I, I want a little more i want more it, it doesn't seem real though. it doesn't seem real to me no there's not <laughs> one fish or anything right there in that one image how is that even it's just like all the old so photos like where there's no one around this there's is, nothing in the sky this is not a real photo this yeah, is that a CG looks crazy. image I mean, 8,000 meters below the surface? Really? Really? I don't know. I don't buy it. The whole thing is very strange. But who knows? Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I wouldn't put it past humans to figure out almost anything, but bizarre. Very bizarre. We live in a strange, strange times, my friends. It's very true. Super strange. So true. All right. So you guys got anything else you want to maybe uh, land the plane here? It's been fun hanging out. I don't want to stretch us out longer than we need to. <laughs> but if you got any thoughts, you know, we've been, I'm happy to give the floor up. My thought is this gets the juices flowing, you know, this is great. This is great stuff. Because uh, as with most things there, they're not done finding these things. They're only finding a lot of them recently. Like, you know, again, when the Easter Island and Stonehenge, like you didn't know, they didn't know that there was stuff right underneath it. And it's bigger than we thought. It's hard to believe. So there's probably a lot more of these little, you know, surprising discoveries left for us. And I'm sure that we're all standing over one right now. And apparently I'm in the heart of it. So I'm very excited to check out. I saw somebody posted uh, a comment about Red River Gorge. I'm going to be going there in a few weeks. So I'm nice. going to see, I can see there. And then this mammoth um, system, I'm definitely going to go check that out. I might do like an on-site on episode, maybe. Awesome. Awesome. I like what you say. And, you know, that's a big part of the whole, in my opinion, every, like the globe thing also is, I, I mean, this is just opinion. Mm -hmm. Don't get me wrong, but the whole globe idea is part of the spell of we've mapped it all out. We know where everything is and we know what everything is and there's nothing else for you to discover or explore. So just enjoy your Netflix and chill, you know, like, right. but the, the reality is there's so much more to discover. And in fact, it's almost like some things will not be found and cannot be found until you have some sort of consciousness of what to look for. Oddly enough, uh, that maybe even the past is as mutable as the future. Like I, I don't even rule that out off the table in the sense of sort of like the, the psychic mat things materializing out of the unconscious because they have been made conscious, you know, like um, we walk past things all the time that are invisible to us through their proximity. And because we haven't made any kind of distinguishment in our, awareness about it being something worthwhile to take note of, then it's like, it might as well not exist. I was thinking about this today in the very simplified form of how my, you know, one of the first things that happened to me in my early twenties with psychedelics was when I was uh, experimenting with those things was I had this epiphany about green where I realized I'd been living life as if nature was just one big solid mass of green and that it was this monotonous monotone boring you know that's what it was and in this experience the, the mushroom showed me like no dude there's infinite shades of green 
there's there's green is it's as wide a spectrum of infinity as it's its own miniature infinity and it's all around you like it's not just this one thing of green you know and at that that was a big moment of appreciating the life that is all around us at all times and waking up to it and so before that i'd just been it had all been invisible to me you know it all blurred together it was all one thing and so the <laughs> the nuance that we can bring to our life through discerning and distinction is valuable to the enjoyment of the flavors that this existence has to offer us and so that's why i like to do these little explorations of all the stuff that might be under our nose and likely under our feet yeah buddy similar <laughs> similar for me too overall although it was nighttime one of the first times i really noticed that was a nighttime mushroom experience and i said wow there i can see as much detail without the sun right now you know it's Gave me like a zoom in on something. It was, it was enlightening. It was edifying. <laughs> third eye was edified. <laughs> nice. Well, George, so you got new stuff coming soon now that you're kind of settled in in Kentucky. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Definitely. Like I said earlier, I'm definitely going on some kind of a music frequency kick. I might revisit the notes I had made when I was on your show, like two years ago about video games. I might actually revisit that and kind of, because I'm finishing this book that I've got going on, but I, my, my goal is to make another book about just video games in general and about how, you know, it's easy to get lost in it, kind of find a way to avoid it, but maybe the agenda behind the two, the history of it and stuff, the good and the bad, of course, you know, and um, maybe, I don't know. It's just all maybes, <laughs> but cool, it's come out of this, you know, because now the show's kind of given me a lot of fodder for um, putting very succinct thoughts down. Whereas with the show, I'm making like a live documentary. I press record, I have notes. I sort of just roll through it, you know. And I got a lot of good interviews too. So I'm happy about that. Yeah, thank you for this uh, super chat polymathing. And appreciate any other support anybody wants to toss out. Pick up Holy Sailors, get a tuning session with me. Uh, If you're interested in tuning anytime soon, definitely get uh, in touch with me because June's starting to June's already full and July is starting to get, you know, booked. So be aware of that. And uh, yeah, I think we'll wrap it up. (laughs) My new computer, it's getting really hot in this room. So I think I need to (laughs) keep my streams to closer to two hours or it might melt down. So thanks everybody. And check out slick dissonant on YouTube. Watch out for Sunday night. We're going to be doing a live interverse with Mario Garza of Symbolic Studies. Deep dive on the tree of life, the Kabbalistic tree of life, and maybe the roots of that tree, the tree of death. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Much love to everybody. Thank you, gentlemen, for hanging out with me tonight. And I will see you guys on the next one. Thank you. (laughs) Wait, wait, we've got to do it. We are all going to do it. Okay, okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right, good night, everybody.